This machine kills fascists. Oh, hi, everyone. Huddle up. Oh, hi, I'm Mike. I'm Christian. This is Hot Little Takes. Welcome back. Reporting from hell. <laughs> the bowels of hell. The loins of hell. Slow news day today. Mike and I were going over the... The latest. What what we might be looking at here down the pipeline following the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yep, let's pour one out for Ruth. Pour one out for Ruth. Yeah, you B- know... Biblical name, Ruth. Indeed. Also in the news today, Shia LaBeouf makes a splash as Spicoli in an online Zoom reading of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh. Okay. <laughs> you didn't see anything about this? Seen not, this? Heard about this? I'm not a huge Shia LaBeouf guy. I know you're not. Explain why. Well, I think... I've told you before. I am, just for the record. Okay, and we've talked about how you don't like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Right. And I think part of it is that we are, I think, and I'm, you know, this is the most honest reason, I think. Okay. Is that we are actors, and we are similar types to those guys. And so it's kind of like, I think, a tinge of jealousy. <laughs> that, And so I'll say that up front, that I, so I don't get called okay. out later okay. or anything. Okay, okay. But I also don't go in for a lot of the shenanigans that that guy gets himself involved in. He's just, he's a lot. He's a lot. (laughs) Literally the other day we were hanging out and watching, people were, you know, we'll pass the, pass around the remote, everyone can play a music video, you know? And uh, someone someone turned on the Sia video and it's him like, cage dancing with that little girl right and it was and i like had to leave the room i found it very <laughs> uncomfortable not just because of my aversion shia it's kind of just a weird uh you wouldn't get maybe it wouldn't get made today <laughs> but it got made like a year or two ago kind of vibe to it right i was pretty funny what i saw what i saw of him on the, the I, little think, I think he's entertaining he just seems like a hard hang you know sure he seems like a tough hang sure i like i like I think the way people treat politicians where they're like, I could have a beer with him. I do that with actors, you know? Yeah. I'm like, that guy's like, I love him. He seems talented, but he doesn't... If I were a scene partner, would he be like a good... Would he, yeah. would he be a good scene partner to work with? Would he be a pain in the ass? You know? That's hard to say. And so that's something... I don't know. I, I, I did I'm, tell you the story about how Shia called out Alec Baldwin for not being off book. When they did Orphans, that's right. Yeah, and Alec Baldwin is like, I'm Glenn Gary, Glenn fucking Ross, kid. Like, I'll learn my fucking lines. I'll learn them. Yeah. How many times have you heard an old guy tell you Universal he's going to learn him and he doesn't do it? And like, multiple times he was like, learn your lines, old man. <laughs> and it's like, dude, you are like the same kind of guy that he is. Are you kidding me? That's funny. I just, I really appreciated the, the things of him that I saw in this Fast Times video, because it's like Brad Pitt, John Legend, Jennifer Aniston, and they're all like sitting in their nice apartments with beautiful hair. And and Shia's in like a shack. Shia was like hotboxing his car. Love it. And he just looked like a psycho. And yeah. he was so committed in it. I think and, he... uh, Sean Penn is like smoking a cigarette and like laughing at everything that he's doing. It's a good vibe. Oh, Sean Penn was there? Yeah. And not reading Spicoli? Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> That's like, that makes know. me more upset than anything. <laughs> he seemed like he was having a good time. Well, sure, but like, everyone wants to see him read it. Well, you, you know? know. It's like, go watch the movie if you I want I mean, I think Shia's it. whole career is a little bit of an interesting kind of art piece. And I yeah. think, but... He picks interesting he kinda, stuff. He kind of, he kind of like... Saw what Franco was doing and was like, I'm going to do that, but crazier, you know? Ooh, that's... Franco's like, I'm teaching classes and stuff, and LaBeouf's like, I 
shit my pants in Times Square. Like, he's like, do you remember that when Joaquin Phoenix made that movie? Yeah. And he was like, you know, making it like he himself was having this breakdown and that what the movie was about. Yeah. It was directed by Ben Affleck's little... Uh, oh, I forgot the case of Affleck. Little, little pervy it. brother. That's little right. molesty boy brother. Um, <laughs> molesty boy. Um, but that was like this Shouldn't actor having that. this breakdown. And it's like Shy is like the real... The real version of that, you know. I like him. Why don't you like Joseph Gordon-Levitt? I just like don't. I just don't find his acting very engaging. Hmm. Yeah. So what else is in the news? Jim Carrey's gonna play Joe Biden, huh? Yep. On SNL. Do you think? He, I don't even know where to start with that. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with that. Because it's because I when we talked about this last year, celebrities being in the political cast for the opening sketch in SNL makes me nuts. Yeah, SNL's pretty bad. We've talked about that a few times. We've never been huge on SNL. Um, and how bad it's gotten. And I've, from one of the things I can understand about SNL is like, it's really hard to get your sketch on the air in the first place. It's really hard yeah. to get your character on the air. And it creates this kind of like, people who've worked there have said it's not a really like good family let's work together environment. It's a little more like, fuck those guys, we're getting our sketch on the air. Like, they get a little more um, right. clicky and stuff. Right. And so I only imagine that having, like, these A-listers popping in to play random... Right. The, the talking heads of Washington, yeah. you know... And, like, Beck Bennett already had been playing Biden, right? Uh, he was playing Putin. He plays Putin, who didn't he didn't he do Biden too? I don't know, man. I can't remember. I mean, Jim Carrey's Biden is gonna be, like, like what Joe Camel or something. It's gonna be like you that's, remember. That's a good. Remember time. Mac Tonight? It was this big moon that was like he was the face of McDonald's for a while back in the eighties. Oh yes. He would like play the piano and have sunglasses. And sure, stuff. sure. Like that's. I wasn't I around for that, but I know what you're He's, talking about. It, you know, mm -hmm. like what. Yeah. What's that I, gonna be? It's gonna be him like doddering. I mean, because here's the thing I've also noticed: SNL has, and the, they've lost a lot of viewers over this. Uh -huh. But like, they are very, you know, um, very neoliberal. Yeah, very neoliberal. Like they shit on they shit on Bernie a lot. Mm -hmm. They, you know. Yep. Yeah, they were they were definitely a they, big they they were pro so Warren. they were super pro Hillary. You yeah. know, they were ready for that. Yeah, they were so ready for that, and that's why that sketch with Chappelle, right after the 2016 election, where they're watching it and like, and like oh, yeah. the, the black guys aren't surprised that he won. Like, is the joke? <laughs> right. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that well, I think we're recording this on a Friday. I think that. I think that the Carrie Biden premieres tomorrow, so you can catch our reactions to that next week. Cool. Can't wait to react to SNL more. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, so coming out of some, I guess this we can segue into this. Up until now, SNL has been the only uh, content out there where Trump is an actual character, where a lot of these people are actual characters, and we just got the trailer. I think it's been out for a couple weeks, but we just saw it for this new, what is it, a Showtime show? Yeah, is it a miniseries? I think it's just a miniseries called The Comey Rule, which will star in Bruges, star Brendan Gleeson as Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, what do you, let's just start with he, that. He looks, like, okay, you... He you, looks fucking crazy. You pointed out that he d is doing the Baldwin impression. He's kind of doing Baldwin's impression, uh, But that's kind of the impression everybody does, I and it's not great, but it's also not totally bad. Like no. Trump talks like a fucking idiot. Everyone just goes, you know, everyone, yeah, everyone just, everyone just goes really low, and it's but like he what, doesn't talk that way. That's kind of what he does. I think. Well, I think that's what it's in the Brando's. I think, almost. but one of the things in there in this show, it looks like there's kind of the the mask that he drops behind the scenes, and that's when he's a little more like, look. Don't fuck with me, okay? Yeah. And he's like giving a little like gangster. Yeah. And I think, and I'm sure Trump is like that. I think he thinks he's like the Don, you know? Sure. I mean, I guess so. This is based and, on James Comey's book, I'm assuming, 
Which I think is... His diary. His diary. The, di- the diaries of James Comey. The Comey diaries. That would be so funny. <laughs> uh, so I think that he was the person who initially was like... He runs it like it's the mob or something like that. Right. Because so, the, the trailer... He does look... He looks good for the part. He's huge. He definitely seems to be nailing some of the physicality. There's like one great kind of profile shot of him that looks very uh, Alfred Hitchcock. But He's got his one just giant kind of extra neck yeah. chin yeah. thing that he's rocking. Uh, and the really crazy... Didn't you think the trailer looked really weird? It's like lit really stark and like noir dramatic almost. So my first reaction when I started watching this was when... Um, I remember when the movie W came out. Right. Right. And that was while George Bush was still in office. Uh-huh. And so it was kind of like, wow, we've got Josh Brolin right. playing uh, George Bush and all that. You know, so it was yeah. like... Richard Dreyfuss. It was, it was a thing. It wasn't as big, of, I think, of a drop as it expected to be. Because there's now been several... You know, several things. Yeah, but, you know, Vice is much more damning than W was. Vice was really good. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be more things like that down the pipeline. We're going to see plenty of Trump impressions for the rest this, of our lives, just yeah. like Richard Nixon is still... People still play Nixon. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, this does have a pretty interesting cast. I'm, I mean, Jeff Daniels is a pretty balls-to-the-wall actor. I like that guy. Oh, I love Jeff Daniels. Uh, Jennifer. We Hill. should point out this. This is on on Showtime. So the odds of us watching all this are so pretty slim. We're probably none of us are going to see it for a couple of years anyway. Because what did I say? The, what am I going to pay for Showtime and watch the seventeenth season of Shameless? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out that's still on. It'll be on Netflix soon anyway. Uh, who else is in this? Holly Hunter. Steven, Love her. I do too. Stephen Pasquale, like him. Scoot, our guy Scoot McNary. Scoot McNary. <laughs> Shooter McGavin? No, <laughs> no. Scoot McNary. He was uh, he was the dad of the missing children in season three of True Detective. Oh yes. He's he's a char- He pops up in a lot of stuff. Actually. Well, with a name like Scoot McNary, you're be- you're a hell of a character actor already. Uh, Jonathan Banks is in this. Mm. Brian Darcy James. Amy Simons, who directed an incredible movie called Sun Don't Rise, that's on Hulu right now. What's that about? It's about uh, Caitlin Sheel and this guy Kim Tucker Adley. I kind of don't want to spoil... Kim Tucker Adley, you told me about this. Yeah, it's a fucking great movie, and I don't want to spoil kind of the, you know, what you learn, but it's like a, I think Criterion has it dis- explained as a sun-drenched Florida noir. It's awesome. And what's it called again? Sun Don't Rise. Sun Don't Rise. I'm going to check that out. You've told me about that a couple times. It's fucking great. That name is great. Also, big big year for Kingsley Benadir, who was the, the boyfriend... Or ex-boyfriend in High Fidelity. He'll be playing former President Barack Obama in this show. Nice. So it's we'll see be, about that. It's going to be interesting. Finally, I think for our little warm-up here, we want to talk about some little teaser trailers that finally got their full their full due this week. <laughs> this banging-looking Walton Goggins project called John Bronco. Yeah, and I've been kind of... So I follow um, Walton Goggins on Instagram. <laughs> Recommended follow? I follow I follow my my character actor heroes, <laughs> you know? And um, so he's been teasing this John Bronco thing for a while, and I'll see pictures, and it's just him looking like this, this fucking rad 70s cowboy with a giant mustache. <laughs> and... Um, and I didn't know what it was, and and I finally found out it's a short mockumentary, I think, about, or it might be an actual documentary, and he just, like, plays this, like, narrative character on top of it, kind of like that other documentary I was telling you about the other day. I think that's going to be more yeah. common, the social dilemma, where they've got some, uh-huh. some na- narrative storytelling to help illustrate, right. you know, the points they're making. Right. But with this, it might just be... Walton Goggins being crazy. <laughs> Which I am always a fan of. Um, so it's a short documentary, mockumentary called the Le- John Bronco or The Legend of John Bronco. And he was like the ultimate pitch man, lover, playboy, adventurer. <laughs> like, just this, they make him out to be like the, 
the Pecos Bill of the Mad Men era. Well said. You know? Well said. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward. So what's the release date on that? And how is it? How can we see it? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. I just, I saw the trailer and I was like, Christian's got to see this. Like, I, I got to tune you into this John Bronco phenomenon Fuck yeah. that's happening if you are a fan of our guy Walton. <laughs> Walton, Walton Goggins, Walter, Walter Goggers. And if you're not. Goggle Woggles. Goggle Woggles. <laughs> oh my guy, Goggle Woggles. <laughs> and if you don't like him, I don't like you. If you don't like him, you can get the fuck out <laughs> right now. Uh, you know he's, you know he's in. I watched not too long ago, um, Shanghai Noon. <laughs> is he really? And he's in the very beginning with Owen Wilson. Oh, and he's the crazy and cowboy. He's, the, he's cr- like the loose he's handle. Like the, and he's like so greasy looking. That's right. And he's and he's like I'm stealing your gang, and he runs off with the gang. And oh my god, he's kind of Owen Wilson's rival in that. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite parts of that movie is like. Right after that, when Owen Wilson is, like, picturing himself being, like, bathed by all these beautiful women, and he's just, like, complaining about his problems, and he's like, and all the other cowboys hated my guts. <laughs> so, he's in Anac- he's in Anaconda, which I watched last week. Which Owen is Wilson that- is? Yeah, he's in, he's, like, he's one of the... I don't remember him. He's, like, the sound guy, uh-huh. and Ice Cube is the camera guy, and... <laughs> You know, J-Lo. J-Lo's booty. John Voight being a, a a man from South America, which is right. him doing like like his Tony Montana kind of thing, <laughs> where he's like, you have to watch out for the snakes in this jungle, oh, little, <laughs> my little bird. Like he's in Man of La Mancha all of a sudden. Um, but Owen Wilson at one point walks out there with the other girl in the movie, and he's like, God, being out here in this... Being out here in this jungle and this heat, it just makes me feel crazy. So we've been doing like the, gosh, I'm so horny. <laughs> oh, God, I'm really horny lately. I don't know. This, <laughs> is it me or is this Amazonian horniness? It's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> my shout out to Anaconda. Shout out, yeah, dude, big shout out to Anaconda. <laughs> I remember seeing that in the theater at like, Eight years old or whatever, yeah. how old I was. Which was kind of like a ripoff of Congo, which was a ripoff of Jurassic Park kind of <laughs> levels of sure. That's th- thinking. Yeah, those are that's what we were into, man. Yeah, monster movies. We're back, baby. All right, we're gonna take a little break, and then when we come back, we're gonna dive into a a little a little personal episode from Mike and I. Yeah, we're going to discuss a trilogy that if you haven't seen yet, you should go watch right now before you pick us back up. Yeah, before then. Mike, how do you feel about the word pussy? I love it. <laughs> that was the quote that stood out to you. <laughs> <laughs> Just what, it was going to be my first question on the way in. So, <laughs> for everyone at home, Mike and I are finally going to finally going to talk some classic cinema flims. And we thought there was no better way to start than with the towering achievement that is Richard Linklater's Before Trilogy. Yes. This is 1994's Before Sunrise, 2000, wait, 95. They were nine years apart. Yeah. I know that. 95, 2004, 2013, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight, starring Finn Hawk, the heavenly Julie Delpy. The otherworldly Julie Delphi? Delpy? Delpy. I always say Delphi in my brain. Isn't there an F in there? Or a, an, an H? H? No. Is there an F in there? <laughs> no. Non. Oh, Julie Delphi. So, we picked this, I think, for a lot of reasons. We're both pretty hardcore Linklater boys, you could say. Yeah, I'd say he's my favorite director. Also, like, one 
especially when I was watching before sunset, before the second one, I really was just like, this is a movie made by people like us for people like us. Yeah. You know, it really, it has all of the, I think sometimes it actually kind of does struggle with sentiment versus sentimentality. Sometimes they can be like a little too oozy, but. That's kind of the dilemma of, especially this last one, they hit it on the nose of like, you know, this romantic love that the first movie portrays is much more complicated, you know, in, in, um, reality. So the, so I don't know if we, how much setup we want to give. Uh, Yeah. I don't really know. I mean, I'm assuming that if you, if you haven't seen these movies, this conversation is not going to be very interesting to you. Yeah. You should watch these movies. The, the, the first one I saw as yeah, a teen- tell me tell me more about your like relationship. To I, the I saw the first one as a teenager. Okay, and when I was becoming a big fan of Linklater and tracking his stuff down, because I don't remember which movie set it off for me. Maybe it was I had seen Dazed and Confused already, mm-hmm. but like I think Slacker or maybe Waking Life especially uh-huh. really got me into him as right. a writer right. and just as like kind of this philosopher filmmaker. So I tracked down before sunrise, and it's like, especially for a young romantic guy, yeah. like just like the perfect movie of like. Uh, so when I I went to Europe when I was a teenager with my family, uh-huh. and one of my memories from that trip is sitting on a train and watching two girls about my age um, talking to each other in French, uh-huh. and just being like. Dazzled. <laughs> the most magical thing you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Two pretty girls speaking French. Right. So it's like such a romanticized right. her character. Right. You know. I have I think especially part these movies are kind of a love letter from like an American to Europe a little bit. Absolutely. And I was gonna say I have kind of a because I don't think I don't think I saw this the I think I saw the sunrise and sunset simultaneously when I was like like a sophomore in college maybe I was like twenty. And my senior year of high school, I got to go on, like, the senior trip with my girlfriend to Spain. Oh. And so we were all over Madrid and Costa del Sol. And Super Sevilla. romantic. Yeah, we were, like, out on a boat in Costa del Sol and... Uh... I just watch girls talking on the train like a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like you said, having, a, having just, like, a trace memory of something like that and being, a you know, an overly romantic young man... Uh, the way that Ethan Hawke, Hawke's character is, especially in that first one, which I want to talk about more, you can, like, immediately almost smell the movie. Do, right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, you can kind of smell that that water and... Yeah, the whole vibe in... The, a huge part of these movies is the setting. So it starts... The first one's in Vienna. Incredible. American guy meets French girl. They get off on the train together. They're, they're, they've agreed... They just met. They've agreed to spend the night walking around getting to know each other. Mm. They fall head over fucking heels with the most, sorry, the most natural connection anyone mm. can dream of having with someone that they've just met. Yeah. It is like true love, soulmate mm-hmm. energy. Yeah. And the question of the first movie is like, will they have sex and will they stay in contact will they, they see will they see each other again in six months yes which is spoiled when you know there's a trilogy but like sure they didn't i don't they had no intention of doing that the first time no, around no you know and we can talk more about the development of all these i think later but the just the romance of them walking through that city mm-hmm. you know a guy sells them a poem for for a cigarette or whatever mm-hmm. yeah they meet it they meet, a gypsy reads their their palms like they talk about Life and death, because Linklater, and who's the woman who wrote the first, she only wrote the first two with him, Chris Kazan or something like that? Yeah, Kim Kazan. Kim Kazan. They're, like, very smart, they're, like, deep, the the conversation is existential. It's it's, it's very heady, yeah. But it's about, it's soulful, it's not just, like, being pretentious smartasses, they're really, no. they're really grappling with being alive they're both yeah they're both looking for something and wondering what the 
what their own journey has to do with another yeah. person. What what can actually be fulfilled through another person. And they if that's real or the not. The rapport is so natural. Yeah. And so like some of the best chem like on screen chemistry of any actors ever. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. And they and they even like appear suited to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. Like you really it's it's rare that you can like kind of fully support a romance to this degree, I think. Yeah, you get behind them. Mm -hmm. And which is, you know, what makes all of these movies so compelling is yeah. you're really rooting for them. And we should say that part of the all three of the scripts uh, and it wasn't until the second and the third one Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke like had their hands all over in the development and the writing of it. I told you the story that I heard Ethan Hawke tell about his kind of process of being cast in the movie and, you know, not realizing he had to audition and then auditioning and, and getting it and having held his tongue up to the certain point where he's like, okay, we need to talk about some of these lines. We need to, we need to change the way some of this sounds. Roll, rolls off the tongue. Yeah. And like, well, and even just like the things that they talk about, I think that he said that at some point in there, there was like a seven page monologue that he gives about. Baudelaire or something like that that he's like this has got to go man yeah and that's and that's very Linklaterian absolutely like he's got his voice all over Jesse's character right but he but him and that in Kim Krizan she came in so that there was a a female voice yeah. actually on and the and she's and she's not in she didn't work on the third one I noticed no. she wasn't a writer and I don't know why and I'm curious but it didn't I think at that point Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy like. They, they have such ownership of these characters, right? You know that it was, and we should say that they are that the characters are featured in Waking Life as well. Yeah, they're in a little sequence in Waking Life. Mm. Well, shit. I mean, that's just kind of uh, touching the. So th okay, so that's kind of the setup for the first movie is just this romantic, you know, interaction that might just be like two atoms flying across the universe kind of energy. Uh -huh. It's super romantic. And then you're left wondering what will happen. Mm. It leaves it on this note. They say, we're going to meet back here in six months. And you go, oh. Yeah. And they don't exchange information like fucking idiots. This movie would never happen in this age. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. You would, you would be, you'd be <laughs> friends with each other on every social media yeah, immediately. Yeah. Like, this would never happen. No. Which is part of the romance of it. You sure. Know? It's like this last point where you'd have to like put a message in a bottle to find somebody yeah. kind of energy i also i forgot that i did have the i do have one story that i met i, I sat i was seated next to a, a young woman on the train which hardly ever happens when you take the california zephyr out, sure. out to out to Grand when you're Junction. traveling and you're seated near an attractive person around your age you take notice even yeah. if you don't even if you're single or yeah. not like whatever you're yeah. doing you just notice and we had you know we had a great day and we got we got stoned on a on a on the train you told me on about a, this on a stop in Glenwood Springs and the train took off without us and we had to chase it down yeah and they stopped for us and they pushed our tags that are your tickets above your seat and I'd never noticed this but when they bend them on the back it says keep in sight <laughs> and we were both like in uh. in train trouble Oh, sure. Uh, Someone could have put a bomb on your bag, man. And we didn't know... like being at the airport. Yeah. And we didn't know each other's names until we were, like, leaving to, like, go to the terminal. And she was like, I wasn't going to ask, but what is your name? Ah, uh, see? That kind of stuff is great. And we exchanged numbers and never spoke. Sure. You know? Well, you know, I think what's what the first movie does is really make it, like, these two are so guided by fate here yeah, yeah they they really they really have like such chemistry yeah that it's like really sad to watch them have to kiss and say goodbye that morning when she gets on the train you know and his flights the next day or the his flights that morning i think the part of the first movie that's i guess i really i think want to talk about the the latter two more but well, let's the, get into those things. but the the most the most gutting part of the of sun of, of sunrise is the the still shots of all the locations where they were throughout the yeah, film? You know, the alley where they talked about this, yeah, or and, the, and the ledge where they you know were kissing, the field and, where they debatably had sex, but but you learn in the second one had sex, yeah, 
those, I mean, those, like, just rip your heart out. The energy that they, like, that that place gave them and that they left there is, is I mean, the, 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 the most digestible kind of romantic I can think of. Well, and there's a sense of, Linklater's got a very good, like, zen presence about things, and it makes you want to be like, god damn it, like, don't float so much. Mm. Like, be more aware of, uh, you know, walking through a cemetery, or, you know, it's kind of stop and smelling the roses kind of mentality. Yeah, the the cinematography of the whole first movie, and the cinematography does, I think, really change as time went on. I mean, artists change and technology changes. But it is a very zen like tranquil austerity that they all have. I mean, they're mostly just it's quiet. They're mostly just like tracking twos, like all of them, but they somehow That's have the this calm, elegance. It's the calmest of the three movies. For sure. So the second one, the break Wait, can I say one last thing about the first sure, movie? Sure. I did find and this is part of what I kind of love about the way that the trajectory of the whole thing goes. I find Ethan Hawke's character in the first movie pretty insufferable. In retrospect in retrospect, um, I think at the time yeah, it probably it yeah, probably played a lot different, and and it's kind of like aspects of the kind of Gen X male slacker thing that don't age well. I I had a similar sentiment when I watched Reality Bites with his character too. Me as well. I had a, I had a hard time watching and watching that. But it's also like I've been that guy too. You sure. Know? So I mean, I, it's kind of like looking in looking at a cringy photo of your former self a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Right. And he does, and he does grow, and I was glad of that. He does. There are still, he's still like a a Texan, you know, philosopher poet guy. Yeah. And that's that's just Linklater too, you know. Yeah. So the second one, I like a lot more. I do. I the second one I, also I has. I kind of like them all for their own reasons. I yeah. I, I mean, it'd be easy for me to say. The second one's the the second one is way more. I told you like pressure because it happens not in a night but in like. In an hour an and a half. Hour. Yeah. They don't have much time at yeah. all. It really, and that's one thing that I like about it is it's a very real time effect. I mean, it's like five scenes. It's like the bookstore, the walk to the bookstore, or the walk to the cafe, yeah. scene at the cafe, them walking through that long park, them getting on the boat, them going to her apartment. And that's yeah. like it. And it, and the, the, the it's crazy because really when you think about it, like, so the setup in the second one is like, she she didn't make the meeting. Her grandma had died. He did. You find out. So they haven't spoken in nine years. They didn't exchange information. Uh-huh. And then she shows up at a book signing because he's an author in Paris. And they have about an hour and a half before his flight. And, he, and, he, and his debut novel is about the it's night. It's about the night that, that they night. Had It's about her... Great self-referential thing. And thing. yeah, the... That's kind of a c- Californication thing sure, that they sure. ripped off later, I realize, or whatever. Uh, like. Well, that's a thing that I had written down here that I think especially goes between the second and the third movie is that you get to see a little bit more of, like, Linklater's effect on the script with that, with the, you know, she talks to him about... Celeste talks to Jesse about does he find, like, doing these press tours fulfilling like is does like, now that he's like written this book right, and is this right. person like he's he, now a famous guy like does he feel more yeah. fulfilled and he's like no not really you know yeah. you like that the, character is very like Linklater's arc in his own life he becomes this successful writer as opposed to filmmaker but you know right because clearly a uh has a lot of credibility you yeah because up to the point of making that first movie he had only made slacker and days and confused you know what yeah. I mean? And then between the time that they made the second one, he'd made School of Rock and Tape and Waking Life and the Newton Boys and, like, just had so much more stuff under his belt. And, you know, Days of Confused was more than ten years old at that point, and people had, like, realized that it's one of the best fucking movies ever made. Well, and the second one, when it came out, was, like, a niche art house thing. They both, the sequels both are. Because Absolutely. Because that's kind of what the fans of the first movie, it's like... You know, yeah. People who the people who are listening to this right now probably, who who are into this have plenty of their own opinions too. Absolutely, you know? but it but it is it does have an art house niche. It's like my dinner with Andre, but it fucks. Right. If you know? they, if if you wanted them to fuck, <laughs> if you wanted them to just fuck right there on the table. Wallace Shawn, <laughs> which I'm sure some people do. Wallace Shawn being like. 
doing his best Nina Simone. Like, <laughs> Come here, baby. <laughs> so the second one is um, the tension is much higher, I think. And then it, but it ends on a much more kind of conclusive note. And that's a, and that's a big difference. Right. Nine years is a long time. Yeah, but they, they clearly are like, you were and are the love of my life. Mm. Like, I've never had a connection with anyone like I had with you nine years ago on that one night. And that's intense. And I don't, and like, is they're both, he's married, he's got a kid, she's got a boyfriend, and they're professing their love within an hour of seeing each other. Right, like, they've been able to, they've been able to, like, successfully move on with their romantic lives since they met. Until they see each other again, and they're yeah. like, she's like, your book fucked me up. And he's like, clearly I'm not over this either. Like, I wrote a right. fucking book about it. It's very curious, you know, it's like such a... There's some, there's something of like what are the odds like what what are the fate and determinism and you know the quantum mechanics of all of this <laughs> stuff that just happens yeah, to make them absolutely and so they think that's why at the end of the second one it's like they're making the choice at least it's they're they're going to now be together yeah. you know which yeah. is, I don't know if they plan on making a third one when they made the second one. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And I don't know that they plan on making a fourth one, but they might. They know? might. I think. I think you. Could, I think you could. Do I think they one. can keep doing it every decade. They might decide why the hell not. Well, yeah, I'll fucking. We'll all go on vacation. Yeah. Every ten years. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. And make a fucking movie. Right. Right. So because they're in beautiful locations. The right. second one's in Paris. The first one's in Vienna. And the second one, goddamn. And I mean, this is. It has a similar kind of visual quality, I think, to the, to the first one. Well, it's, it's a lot just, of them walking so down sim- these so cobbled streets. It's so know. simple until, and it's such a great kind of device that's happening inside of the scene where she's where they get on the boat, right? And she's like, "These are stupid. These are for, these are for tourists. These are for it's tourists." And but the most like gorgeous shot of the entire film is her walking out onto the observation deck, pointing it, mm-hmm. and it's like. She's seeing something again for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, and it's so, it's, it's, yeah, it's so simple and fucking beautiful. I don't know. I mean, for something that is so like dense and and complicated and it's uh, in the very discussions they have. Yeah. And the and the, you know, the concepts of the plot, the image of it is simple and crystal clear, you know, mm-hmm. which like. For you as the viewer, you were like, oh my god, get naked right there, you yeah. too. <laughs> like, it's all about just, like, this beautiful conversation between these beautiful people in these beautiful places, you know? It's gonna work a lot of the it's time. It's gonna work. <laughs> and it does. It really does. It, it was funny, I was thinking about how weird it was to watch that Charlie Kaufman movie, mm-hmm. comparatively, because that's a movie about, uh-huh. like... This long, these long conversations that are very thoughtful and in-depth, mm-hmm. but, like, they're not connecting at all. And right. in, in these movies, they really are connecting and listening and vibing with each other on all these levels, up until the third one, which is where things get... The disconnect. Which is, like, a great... Right. You know, they were like, where do we go with this now? All right. We bef- have to- Before we move on to the third one... Okay. Can I throw out a couple of my... Choice quotes or something? Uh, it's like, it's like choice quotes and uh, my my only small complaints. Sure, you got notes. I don't. I'm uh, just riffing here, baby. In the their like first interaction in the beginning of the of sunset, <laughs> they they're talking about as they're leaving the bookstore, which is Shakespeare and Company in Paris, mm-hmm. which is like probably the most famous bookstore in the world. It's like Powell's. Yeah, it's, for Europe. <laughs> right. And he's like, on the way out, he's like, oh, you know it? And she's, which is one, like, of course she knows it. And two, she's like, it's my favorite bookstore in Paris. And I'm like, really? But you live here. This is, wouldn't it be like full of tourists and like be a pain in the ass? She's like, I sit and drink tea there. And you're like, what the fuck? Wouldn't it be like obnoxious to be there all the time? Hmm. That's just I'm sure Julie Delphi I justified trust. that in her brain. Sure, I trust Where she it. was like... This is my favorite bookstore because I'm always hoping that you'll be here. That's okay. Or some right. shit like that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I buy. It. I actually really buy that. 
Because um, you're the, my tourist. You're my little tourist American <laughs> hunk of man. <laughs> uh, some of the okay, so some of the other ones in here uh, deal with the because she talks about living in New York. Sure. And this is another time where we're like, yeah, they had that one. They had lived in New York at the same time. Yeah. And he saw her on, on his way. way to his wedding. Yeah. Oh, that's brutal. He goes, brutal. I thought I saw you on 13th, and she goes, I lived on 11th. <laughs> And you're like, ah, and you yell at the TV. <laughs> uh, but I, I really enjoyed uh, Julie Delpy getting to like talk shit about the cops and guns for a minute. That aged really well. Oh yeah, and him, him giving her shit about being a commie was yeah, did that's, not age quite as well. Yeah, he also has a line that I have written down here where he says, "Is there a particular imperialist country you had in mind there, Frenchie?" Yeah. <laughs> But it's all flirtatious. Yeah, you know? yeah, of course. It's just another. He's, he's playing. He's playing into the. She also is like, don't your, don't people like have a lot of sex with their cousins where you're from, like <laughs> shit like that. Yeah, you right. know. Uh, another one that I had written down for personal reasons is she asked him how long it took, to write his book, and he says three or four years, and she said that's a long time to write about one night, which is uh, that hurt my feelings personally. What else do I got in here? Oh, also just that, the the six disc player that they play the. Disc. I thought the exact same thing when he when he pulls. I was like, look at all those CDs she's got, and he like and he and they're alphabetized, and he's like, ooh, Nina Simone, and he throws it on. It's a great ending to the movie. It is. A it's her ending, yeah. dancing around doing her Nina Simone impression, and that's I think when you were texting me because you were like a night ahead of me on the yeah. first couple, and you were like. I'm, she's my dream woman. And I, and I, when she was doing her Nina Simone, I was like, I bet this is when he texted me. Cause <laughs> she's like, oh, hey baby. I think I could have texted you that pretty much any time she At any time. She's, screen. she's, it's a little, uh, and you know, and it was good. I was, you know, I had Anne's perspective. She was like, you right. know, this, I was like, I hope these movies aren't just a dude's vision of a dream girl. And that's why I, was good that he wasn't writing these by himself. Yeah, you know? yeah. He, these he are, couldn't have done it that way. No, no. They're a, they're a total collaboration. It's and it's like what's so what's good up with that him? woman? Was that a girlfriend of his? Was that I don't know. Who is this Kazan woman? This mystery. It's like in the third movie. In the third movie, at one point, this woman has him sign his book. And she asks Julie Delpy's character to sign it too, and she's like, "You're the Meredith, right?" And she's like, "No one's ever asked me to do this." And I was like, "I find this hard to believe." So who she, is this woman? She had small parts in Waking Life and Days and Confused. What does she look like? Oh, she might have been one of like the. Is she the blonde? She might have been the one who they have to like zip her pants up with the with the pliers. <laughs> with the pliers. That might be her. Well, she's the one who's in the she's in the car with Parker Posey and uh, uh, oh god, I always forget her name. Chasing Amy. What's this woman's name again? Chris, Kim Krizan. Kim Krizan. I want to say Chris. You know when they're like all when they're driving around, and she's like, I want to know what she said, and she's like, Well, she said that you're a slut and you're a bitch, and Parker Posey's like, What fuck her? <laughs> Is she the girl in that scene? Maybe. I think maybe. Maybe. <laughs> there was like a brunette and a blonde, and then there was. Chasing Amy. Yeah. What is her name? She's the best. She's a great actress. Uh, God, it always fucks me up. Joey Lauren. Joey, Joey, Joey Lauren, Lauren Adams. Adams. Joey Lauren Adams. Yeah. Who I always say that um, Renee Zellweger's like the poor man's Joey Lauren. He stole Adams. her career. Yeah, absolutely. Renee Zellweger is in Dazed and Confused in like the background of a couple scenes, which is funny. If we're going to go on a Dazed and Confused. That's, that's good. We'll do Dazed and Confused one of these. All right. Anyway, let's get back to the third movie. Okay. Because we haven't really gotten into it too much. So the third one, this has like the most kind of dramatic There are There are texture. other characters talking in this one a lot. Yeah, I noticed that new, too. Like right yeah. away. It, it kind of threw me off. Yeah, the, the scene with his son in the beginning is... And then they're followed by like a 20 minute scene with them and these other couples and mm -hmm. a widow and a man whose wife is doing her own thing mm -hmm. and the, a conversation about relationships yeah. and stuff. Yeah. It, this one is much more, somehow, more meditative even than the, the first two are. Yeah. So Those, they, they're a little more ponderous and, and and wandering, and this one is much more like... Now they're now the question of will they, won't they is gone. They've, right. They're now 
I don't think they're married. I was they're kind of hoping. Married. I was kind of hoping he'd propose to her at the end. I kind of thought that was going to be the move that they sure. were going to pull out. I'm glad that's. Not, I'm glad. I'm, kind, I'm really glad they didn't. The way yeah. it ended was great, but they're they've got twin daughters. His son lives in the U.S. They live in Europe. In Chicago. Chicago. Every time she says it is so good. Uh, every time she says anything is so good. What was the word she like couldn't pronounce that they were making? He was making fun of her for. And what kind when of when they were arguing? There was some. Oh, word. I can't remember. Anyway, know. they have to. They're gonna have like a this hotel alone together. So it, well, let's it wait. kind of let's... forces them to have the conversation alone that they probably haven't done in a long time. Yeah, this the whole thing is really the. They have a good car out. ride one too, like, and that I mean that sows all the seeds. And that might be like a. There were like maybe three cuts in that 15 minute scene these guys do a lot of long amazing theatrical yeah. takes yeah where they probably only cut because one of the kids in the background was getting fussy or something i can't even think of where they cut in that there were moments where they did i did notice like it just they cut a little bit close-ups yeah and it was probably just to like switch out the little girls or something you know sure. or one of them was like picking her nose or i don't know being distracted pulling some focus or something. really good stuff out of, out of the twins Sure. Good stuff out of it. They them. look like they would be their kids. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. Incredible cast. Same with his his son's really good. Like the the first scene with this kid. Right. Because the kid is like trying to tell him to be cool. Um, you know, he's like, Dad, it's gonna be fine. You know, and he's like, I'm gonna miss you. Gonna yeah. Miss right. You. I love what, what a measured twelve year old he is. He feels he feels bad not being around in his son's life except for these like summer vacations and shit like that. Right. Uh, <clears throat> that's the that's the what prompts the drama of the of the whole the yeah. whole thing for them. I did want to go back just a little bit and talk about the way that the texture of the image changes so much more dramatically in this movie than the first two movies, because the first two movies have a very like you know kind of, like almost kind of a hazy they're in like, cities grainy paleness to them, and this one is much more you know, clear and, yeah. and defined. And it really, it gives you the impression of like looking through 20 years of like a photo album or something like that. Cause these two characters and actors themselves are like the exact same age as like my mother, mm. you know what I mean? So like any pictures that I've seen of my mom, like from the nineties, like up through, you know, when I was a teenager in the first part of this century, that's like exactly the way the images look through Sure. Like the photo albums at my grandmother's sure. house, you know what I mean? So you, you're, it, it does a lot to get you to be a part of the history of these. Well, it's effective to watch those in order, you know, in order like that yeah. in a short amount of time. Yeah, can highly recommend the experience, right? Well, and I think part of this new one is that like, or the third one was that the first two were in these cities and this third one was like kind of on this seaside it's so more isolated. They're yeah. not walking down a cobblestone road. They're walking on like a dirt road with grass all around them mm -hmm. instead of buildings all around them. Uh -huh. It's like kind of this new... I think the th there was like a theme of new birth and renewal in their relationship. Absolutely. You know, they're kind of refinding that that intense, you know, youthful, idealized romance yeah. again. And it is, it is really breathtaking, you know, the, the scene of the two of them leaving the estate they were on to go into, like, the little town, and, like you said, they walk through that dirt road. And once they kind of, like, re-enter civilization, and all of a sudden, like, you can hear the water, and you can hear all of these people on the beach, and, you know, people going up and down the boardwalk. Yeah, and they get by the hotel and stuff. Yeah, like, once, like, the, the soundscape changes so dramatically, and, like, the, the all of the movies are so good about just being so propulsive with the energy that they're both taking into every new situation and like you said this one's so much different because there are other characters that affect what happens yeah and their their opinions and yeah yeah they're i really loved when they stopped at that little monastery for the saint of the blind or saint of sight and Julie Delphi's being all like horny and stuff. Yeah, when she licks her prayer yeah. hands. Yeah. And he's like, Stop it. Stop. You can't we're not really supposed to like he's a little more like Protestant. Yeah. Or puritanical about that's, the whole thing. That's good stuff. <laughs> that's good stuff. Uh, I did kinda I did want to talk about because <laughs> there are so many 
scenes before like before they kind of get to that big finish scene in the hotel room and on the on the dock with which each is other. when you know this one was like the longest one and i knew things were about to like open is this up. the was this the longest one i yeah I meant to it was yeah. it was like two hours long the other ones are kind of a the second one's real short the second one is brief yeah the the old greek guy is he greek i can't everybody's remember. greek the, but the the old man oh the writer yeah he's I think he was like British or some or something or I don't know I don't know what he was an, it's great great accent by that guy could you not listen to him talk for like twenty straight years oh all of those actors were great in that scene. that the that, old the old woman's monologue was like ugh gutting. yeah the two the the youngest couple at the table I found really interesting too. I know, we know some older actors like that where you're like, yeah, dude, if you, we wanted this guy to play like this Norman Mailer type. Right, that's kind of, yeah, Tom Wolf. Yeah, yeah, he's like, now he's like in his 80s, but he like wrote some amazing shit back in the day. Yeah, right. He's got this, what they're at his second home in Greece. We were talking about like, boy, what a shitty life to be invited, <laughs> to, be invited to go vacation at some brilliant writer's second home uh-huh. by the beach. <laughs> Alright, well, let's wait. Well, let's wait um, well, shit really kicks off in the second one when they get back to the hotel and they're, like, about to fuck, and then it just goes... It just falls it's to like, pieces. It's like, I've talked to you before about how I like, I like the fight. a well-written fight, Yeah, and it is one of the best. That's why I texted you and I said, this movie should be called Marriage Story. <laughs> Marriage Story would be a great title for this. This that the argument that they have in Marriage Story, mm-hmm. nothing compared to this. Right. Like garbage town. Yeah. First of all, it's way shorter in Marriage Story. Yeah. This fight goes on. It starts with them about to have sex. Little miscommunication. Phone call. Little miscommunication. Uh you know, little, little, little things builds up, builds up, builds up. It just, yeah. it happens over the course of a half an hour. She leaves the room three different times. It's so good. But at the end, he, after she finally leaves for the last time, he looks over, untouched tea, untouched wine glass, full mm-hmm. of wine. Yeah. Uh, bed that was slightly ruffled when they were starting to have sex. Yeah. Like, there are moments where she uh, covers her breasts and he puts his pants back on and you're yeah. like shit is hitting yeah these are like theatrical beats and notes yeah. like it's like watching a really good it's like a song that or dance you're seeing totally. it, it was so such a good fight yeah such a good fight and there is one thing <laughs> the marriage story thing is really funny but the thing that i wrote down was scenes from a marriage because the way that they lit the room that the bed was in is like the same way that johan and marianne's bedroom is lit are there two little the kind bedside of, lamps or the, something like the kind of iconic image of scenes from a marriage looks pretty much exactly like that and i'm obviously that's like there were, on his mind there were great scenes where he's lying on the bed arguing and she's sitting on the couch and there's a whole door in between them you know sure yeah when they're in separate rooms i have that i have that written down yeah they're well. in the uh, they're in opposite rooms that fight was like a masterpiece. It's and I knew it was about to happen when they were like about to fuck and stuff. I was like, oh no, they're, they're about to fuck. They're about to have a huge fight. You can tell. Like, yeah. you can already tell it was about Yeah, if you have any clue, but... <laughs> you're like, and we've never seen this. This is like, we've never right. seen these two be like, I fucking hate you. you I don't love you I anymore. don't love you. Like, I, I'm sick of your shit. I'm sick of putting up with your shit. Yeah. Because they do, they are fighting now to find their independence and balance that out with their relationship, which is like the great dilemma. You right, know? which is exactly like what the thesis of the begin of the first movie is: is that they're they're their own people. What? Yeah. What does life mean when another person is part of it? You know, who are you with another person? Yeah, and the really the there, you know, he had suggested maybe moving to Chicago, and it got in her head, and it. But it went back and forth, and they—it mm. just becomes the such a good fight. I, yeah. I can't—I can't emphasize enough like how it's kind of satisfying after watching them just be like, "I love you, I love you, I love you" for two movies in a row, right? A little bit, not, and not to, to be like, to be like, because the the I think the big thesis of the third one is like, what happens when you actually have to do real life around your 
romantic fantasy, you know. Yeah. They talk about how they're not actually married. And yeah. they let the girls think that they are because it's a fantasy and they like to mm-hmm. think daddy and mommy princess and the mm-hmm. king or yeah. whatever, you know, whatever that right. shit. That's, that's a good detail where they, every movie that those, the, the two kids watch and the happy ending comes, they associate it to marriage. Right. Like how, how early that thing starts. That's like, it's such a wonderful way for this thing to come back. To where it was. I mean, the movie starts with Jesse as a little boy talking about seeing the ghost of his grandmother. You know the. Mm-hmm. And that's what got her to be intro. He, you know, this vulnerability that he showed, and. Mm-hmm. And then they get divorced at the end of the third movie, which is totally unexpected. <laughs> they clearly. Walk, they, cre- they clearly, they clearly walk, break up. walk out of each other's lives forever. <laughs> I'm so fucking glad that that's not how these end. That would be. Horrific. Oh, at this point, God, yeah, yeah. yeah that'd be terrible. I don't, I don't really know how they can, what the struggle can be with like a fourth one. You know, I don't either. So it would be, it would be it, due in. It might be more about their relationships to their kids, and less about them. But it can't be. It has it to be about. It can't them. be about anything but the two of them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, we. I would watch it, obviously. Oh yeah. All right, let me. Well, it's what did I write down in these notes? The only <laughs> I did love the ending of the third one. Oh, me too. And we didn't. And we didn't even talk about the sunset. Oh, the sunset. Well, what do you want to say? I mean, what the fuck can you say? That they scene cap- is gorgeous. They capture a great sunset with both of them. Yeah, you actually watch a sun slip away, which seems simple, but is like while Julie Delpy is commenting on whether or not she keeps going. Still there. Still there great and like you and like by the time it's slipping away like you're crying out it's still there well and i said to you i was like something like that is so effective just because you know the effort they had to go through like they had to get it right you know you can't fucking get a second take of that you got to come back tomorrow if you want to do that right you know and it's not even going to be in the same place the next day Mm -mm. yeah yeah you you've already done a whole scene you know or whatever i don't know Maybe not. I think they might have cut to that. But it was still a super effective. And, like, the, the light leaves their faces. You know, the, the, the image of the, the natural beauty of the sun going down over the mountains is extraordinary, but, like, the light on the two of them vanishing is, like... And that's where cool. we enter the second half of the, the movie, which is, like, the fight. Right. But it's just another example of, like, that cinematography and design just being so perfect and simple you know they like they really there's no i mean outside outside of these like 12 minute you know tracking twos that they get of them talking or whatever there's no like huge flex in the 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 imagery anyway no you know like they let everything speak for itself it's fucking these i'm curious who like the cinematographers were on all of those Okay. If it was the same, if they were bringing back the same crew, that kind of thing, you know? That's the kind of stuff that if we got paid to do this, we could look up, but... <laughs> well, I mean, if we'd thought, if we'd had this conversation earlier, you know, I might have looked it up. Oh, I think, yeah, no, Lee Daniel, I think, did do the cinematography. He's, like, done the cinematography for all of his movies. Oh, for Linklater? See? Yeah, he, yeah, he did all these, yeah, he did all these movies. Yeah. And Linklater's movies aren't like cinematically super flat. No, he didn't do he didn't do before midnight. But he did do. Before oh well, but before he, the midnight's the one we're talking about that is flashy a little bit. Yeah. So I don't know, but the spirit the spirit is there. So. Those movies he's the he's uh he's the kind of writer that he's the kind of guy that shows how far you can go with just like really good writing and acting. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I like him so much as a director. It's more theatrical. Yeah. Kevin Smith. Is, you know, obviously not as uh, much of a... Uh, he, does, he doesn't really go... He doesn't really stick his hand inside of your heart. The Chasing Amy actually is a really great movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But I think that's the one he's also gotten the most, like, crit- critical credibility out of, too. I mean, he's a niche... He's a... That guy's doing great. I love Kevin Smith. He's oh, yeah. fine for himself. Totally. He's he's helped create a whole culture of femdom. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. 
Uh, mm-hmm. the one, so the one line that I had written down here, I don't know why this is the one line. I was mostly writing down the lines that made me laugh, not the ones that made me cry. When And this is a great scene where Ethan Hawke is discussing the, the stories for a novel that he's thinking of writing. I love that scene. When he's describing the characters with their different, like, issues uh-huh. in this novel. And there's the kind of, like, kind of meathead Greek guy that they're hanging out with. Uh-huh. Who says something, and then the old writer goes, don't listen to him, he makes bicycles. <laughs> oh, I thought that guy was a writer, too. It's funny to wonder, like, what the relationships are in that scene. Because I know the younger guy was his grandson, they, like, yeah. said at one point. Yeah. Achilles. 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 I remember. Good shit, man. Makes you want to go to. Makes you want to go to the Mediterranean. Makes you want to go to Europe. Oh yeah, it makes you. It makes you want to like be a part of your own life. Yeah. You know. I mean, it's just like a. Well, and there's something about travel that it hits on for Linklater and Jesse's character that it's like it's romantic. It is. It makes you present. When you're traveling, you are much more present and much yeah. more, and you take things in, you know, you'll smell the rose right. much more actively than you would if you were just going about your regular routine, yeah, you know, exactly. it, just, it just happens. Exactly. And that's what makes these movies so good, man. Fucking They're so good. Excellent. Watch them by yourself. Watch them with a lover. Watch them with, yeah, yeah. Do what? whatever you want. Do whatever you want. But watch them. But return to these. I mean, I was just saying, I think before we started the recording, that like, because we, I think you watched these in three straight days and I watched them over the course of five days. I now feel like I probably need to do this once a year. Yeah. You know, it seems like, it seems like that kind of thing that you need to refresh yourself with and like re-enter your life with it. Yep. These are definitely ones to go back to. And I'm curious to see what other weird ones you and I start to figure out that we want to watch more of. Yeah. Because I know there's like, I was like, this is like one of those trilogies when someone says, what's your favorite trilogy? Like, you might not even think of right away because it's not like genre stuff. I mean, it's a romance trilogy. Yeah. You know, it's right. about a relationship between two really attractive and interesting characters. I did hear Ethan Hawke in an interview one time joke that this is the lowest... The lowest grossing trilogy of all time. But just for the record... I all, bet that's not true anymore. All three of these movies made that made money. Yeah, Richard Linklater was a hot commodity, you know? The first the first one... As was Hawk, as was Delpy. Yeah, the first the first movie cost 2.5 and made 5.5. The second one cost 2.7 made 16. And Before Midnight cost 3 made 23. See? And they shot the fucking things in Europe. Yep. And you know what? These movies are not just popular in the United States. Right. Because if you were a European watching these movies, you'd be like, oh, this is what a not the worst kind of fucking ugly American <laughs> perceiving our country and our, or our, you know, our lifestyle, our culture, you know? Yeah. It is a love letter. It's not, it's not like, America, fuck yeah. Like, it makes you like, he's like, I only want to go back to America for my kid. Otherwise, fucking, I live in Paris. This is awesome. Yeah, right. This is awesome. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right, right. Well, I mean, dude, do, do you have any last thoughts you want to? Not really. You that, get I, guess that, I, think, I think that was it. That was kind of my closing statement, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really have anything to add. I'm glad that we talked about these. Me too. We got to figure out some other stuff to uh, do some do some episodes about some weird old movies. I yeah, know there's some floating around. We'll have to figure out. Yeah, we'll yeah we'll go talk about it now. Yeah, we do have another bonus mini pod plus some hot little hoops coming out this week as well. Is it hoops? Hot little hoops. Hot little hoops. Part of the hot little network. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. The little hot network. <laughs> I don't know. We'll figure it out. But we'll have some more stuff coming up. We're gonna get, we're gonna talk about some trailers from some of these new Toronto Telluride film festivals. Do you remember what our website or what our email is? Oh yeah, you can shoot us an email at the hot little mailbag or hot little mailbag at aol.com, or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at hot little takes. Yeah, 
And if not, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> you know that's right. Just in time. Jesus.